If you thought COVID-19 was in the rearview mirror, you're wrong. Now, Oregon faces its toughest restrictions since March as cases spike across the state, threatening to overload the healthcare system. I'm Andrew Thien, and this is Beat Check with the Oregonian. Up next, investigative reporter Brad Schmidt talks about all things coronavirus. We talked Saturday, a day after Governor Kate Brown issued a two-week freeze, closing down some businesses and shifting restaurants to takeout only across the state. The closure will be at least four weeks in Portland. We talked about the governor's order and what it means, plus Schmidt answered questions submitted by readers about a whole range of topics. Here's our conversation. Brad Schmidt, thanks so much for taking time to talk. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Well, it's been a hell of a week. Um, we're talking on Saturday, after, right after the governor's um, you know, most extensive restrictions back since March and figured it would be a good time to check in with a guy who's been covering coronavirus basically since the beginning. Uh, what does this all mean, Brad? Where, where are we at now in the pandemic uh, here in Oregon? And uh, kind of just walk us through what the governor uh, talked about. Well, it's uh, it's March in November. Um, we have re-entered uh, a phase of new restrictions that we have not seen since the earliest days of the pandemic. Governor Brown on Friday announced a statewide freeze that uh, essentially closes uh, gyms and limits restaurants and bars to take out only places new caps on the occupancy for many businesses and also uh, limits capacity inside houses of worship. It's essentially the state's last-ditch effort to try and contain the spread of coronavirus, which has reached unprecedented levels in Oregon. Uh, We are now averaging over 900 cases a day over the past week. Mm. Um, The the case count has essentially doubled in two weeks. Hospitalizations are at an all-time high. And this action by the governor is an attempt to prevent hospitals from becoming overrun in the weeks ahead. Now, time is so both compressed and elongated in this, in this pandemic. It's hard to keep track of stuff. But it, it wasn't that long ago that the governor put Multnomah County and eight other counties on, on a pause, right? But um, quickly, that apparently wasn't enough. Yeah, things, I mean, frankly, have kind of been coming um, off the wheels since about, um, I mean, if you look at the trajectory, beginning to middle of September, we started to see case counts go up and we surpassed our summer peak um, by early October. And then we surpassed, it started to kind of flatline again. And then we started going up again about um, two weeks ago. And when we started going up about two weeks ago, you started to see a, a record level of daily cases and a record level of hospitalizations. And um, the governor's office at that point had not issued any public statements, if you recall what was going on at the time. Um, it was a day before uh, the presidential election, and um, oh, right. everybody's <laughs> attention was sort of elsewhere. Um, and so I reached out to the governor's office uh, that Monday and said, you know, we've set new records in a slew of categories. Um, what's next? 
And um, it, it, the response was essentially the same as it had been, which was platitudes of everything's on the table, but there was no um, direct uh, sign that there would, was going to be action. And then by the end of the week, uh, cases had gone up enough, uh, hospitalizations had gone up enough that Governor Brown announced what was going to be a two-week pause for nine counties, um, including uh, Multnomah, Washington, and Clackamas counties, that would essentially try to limit social activities, really encourage people to stay home, um, but was not um, an aggressive measure per se. Um, and then here we are a week after that, and that's when Brown announced the latest freeze. Um, it's you know essentially an implicit acknowledgement that um, the first measure uh, did not go far enough based on the trajectory of cases. So Brad, um, what's driving this? I mean, uh, what's driving the increase as far as we know here in Oregon? One word, people. Um, we, you know, this is a highly infectious disease, uh, and, um, it, uh, transmits through person to person contact, um, particularly if people are not following the, uh, safety measures that public health officials have been pushing for months and months and months. Those are, you know, wear masks, avoid social gatherings. If you do gather, you know, um, keep it within a tight knit, close, close tight knit group of people, um, wash your hands, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, it's been eight months since uh, this pandemic began and there's a bit of fatigue going on. And then we have, you know, the changing of the weather. So people aren't able to gather outside as easily. So, you know, if you do gather, you're inside and we know that this is transmits through the air and on and on and on. And so essentially what, what we have here is um, a unprecedented spread. And that's the governor's message. That's public health's message is stop gathering, limit who you're meeting with, follow our precautions, because we need all of us to work together to slow this. Um, unfortunately, those, you know, are the the same statements they've been making for months. And here we are at, in what, you know, could arguably be called uh, exponential growth. And so if ever there's a time for all of us to take this seriously, this uh, appears to be it. Yeah. You mentioned this is March in November, um, but back in March, you know, these numbers would have uh, been unimaginable and would have caused widespread panic. But it seems like this go around, I guess we're so acclimated to this reality that it's not really a, a time to panic unless you're, you know, a business owner who obviously is making some really tough decisions uh, about your employees and kind of what happens from here. Right. Yeah. I think, you know, we've all sort of been become numb to um, the numbers. Uh, you're exactly right. I mean, today, Saturday, the state just announced another day with uh, more than a thousand cases. And, mm -hmm. you know, we weren't seeing a thousand cases a week until, you know, um, early summer. I think. And so we're equaling in one day what would take a week uh, in the past. Um, and, you know, part of, I think, all of this is everybody's learning and um, uh, evolving understanding of the disease. When we first heard about it in from China um, in the cases there where emergency rooms were being um, uh, flooded. And then when we learned about what was happening in New York City, where the exact same thing was playing out, we were all scared that, you know, the hospital system was going to become overrun. And uh, if you needed to get medical treatment, you might go there and you would not be able to get what you hope to get and ventilators might not be there to help you breathe. And, you know, 
as time has gone on, the um, the treatment that doctors are able to provide has, has improved. Um, the fatality rate um, appears to have decreased um, because of, you know, some of these measures. And the hospital systems, by and large, until now, have not been overrun. So um, people are able to get care if they need it. And so when you look at all of that in the totality, and also the fact that the people who are most likely to die are generally, at least in Oregon, um, people in their 70s, and particularly 80 and over, I think many people have just sort of let their guard down that, well, you know, it's out there. And um, if I get it, you know, it, it, it may not kill me um, in the way that I think when we didn't know as much back in March, everybody was really, really scared. Um, that's not to say we shouldn't be scared now, right. um, because it is a deadly disease. Um, but I think people's views of it in some ways ha- have evolved, um, even, you know, as we continue to see record record deaths. What's it been like for you to cover this so um intimately and looking at this curve and all these trends, you know, for eight odd months now? Well, you know, it's exhausting um, from a reporting standpoint, but, uh, you know, I, I feel for the people who are actually on the front lines, the healthcare workers, um, the epidemiologists, the contact tracers, they're the ones that are doing the hard work and trying to contain this. Um, I'm just, you know, working yeah. working from the home office, trying to, <laughs> trying to bring news to, to Oregonians. Um, but it's, you know, it's, it's exhausting and it's also just troubling. This trajectory is unlike anything we have seen. And, you know, you have to realize that what the state is reporting today for cases or for hospitalizations is really sort of a reflection of spread that's been happening in the past. We're only sort of learning about what was happening a few days ago or a week ago. And so if you look at these charts, and I'd encourage you all to go visit our projects page on OregonLive.com, and you see where we're at compared to where we were two weeks ago, just imagine where we could be in another week or two weeks and ask yourself, you know, do I really want to leave the house to go do activity X, even though I want to, because if you get sick and you get an infection and you over, you are part of the, 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 the process that overwhelms the healthcare system, you know, what does that mean for you? And what does that mean for everyone else? So I think it's really time that we all evaluate sort of our, 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 our how, how we play into this, um, this system and, and what we can all do to um, hopefully stem the tide. As you mentioned, Brad, you um, a couple weeks ago now saw the trend coming and where, where we are now. And, um, you know, I was pulled into coverage this last week as a result of that. Um, one of the things that you and Mark Friesen noticed was uh, he's a, a data guru uh, all around a huge resource in the newsroom was that uh, the share of cases in Portland is, is rising, right? Can you talk about how that has shifted in terms of where the virus is spreading and, and what that might mean? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, from a net standpoint, the metro area was always going to um, represent a decent chunk of cases in Oregon, right? Uh, We're, you know, 40 plus percent of the overall population and we're dense. And so um, at the earliest days of the pandemic, right, the very first case was a a Washington County man who worked in Clackamas County. And so we knew it was here. But 
over the time of um, the pandemic, the location of cases has really kind of evolved. I mean, again, you've always had high case counts in the metro area in Marion County as well, but we really saw high per capita case counts in Eastern Oregon. It, in the summer, it would not be surprising that you would have a county like Malheur, which is on the border with Idaho mm-hmm. or Umatilla. Um, have more total cases than Multnomah County, which is the state's most populous. And then, you know, when college started up uh, in early fall, you know, you started seeing Lane County producing a ton of cases. But what we've seen over the last week or two weeks is particularly troubling. And that is the share of the state's cases are shifting to the metro area. Um, And this week, uh, it's going to be over 50%. And so why is that important? Well, you know, this is where most people are. It's easier to transmit when you have so many people in Mm -hmm. one area. Um, And once, frankly, this virus gets a stronghold in a community, it really, really, really sticks around. Um, you look at a place like Malheur that does not have a ton of people, but on a per capita basis, it has not been able to shake it. Um, and so when you see these cases in, in the metro area start to spike, you'll you'll maybe start taking it a little more seriously. And, you know, we, one of the resources we tried to do is provide a quick look at um, the zip codes that have the most um, new cases, uh, you know, per capita as a percentage or net week to week. Um, and so I'd encourage you all to go to OregonLive.com and check out our analysis there so you can see how many of your neighbors, frankly, uh, are being newly diagnosed with COVID. So, um, Going back a bit, when we're seeing some of these outbreaks in other parts of the state outside the metro area, a lot of that was workplace spread, right? Or community spread that was maybe tied to a workplace or a a food processing plant or a, a factory or something to that effect, right? Yeah, absolutely. Especially in the Eastern Oregon communities, Umatilla um, had just a a very, very, very high number of workplace outbreaks. Mm -hmm. Moro, which is just to the west of Umatilla, um, also had just a ton of workplace outbreaks. And same goes to some extent um, in Malheur, but um, they've got a prison over there that was part of the issue. And again, they're over on the Idaho border. So you have people who are crossing state lines for workplace issues. Um, But yeah, and, you know, we, it's certainly workplace is part of the equation um, in the metro area, but state officials again and again and again are saying, well, you know, what we're seeing is these social gatherings are seeding the new infections. And then from there, they get brought into a workplace. Uh, and, you know, unfortunately, some of those workplaces are long-term care facilities where the most vulnerable people live and are, um, you know, resulting at least in some instances in death. The metro area and this was kind of a surprising stat um, that that you and Mark um, discovered that uh, Multnomah County has the highest per capita rate of cases um, of any major uh, county in Oregon, Washington or California. These are kind of the biggies like Pierce County, King County in Washington, uh, Los Angeles County, San Diego County, uh, Sacramento. I mean, we have a higher per capita rate than all of those cities. 
Yeah, that's exactly right. We think uh, we, we do a lot of data analysis on our own, but we'll thank the New York Times for that because they've got mm. a pretty easy uh, chart think, where you can yeah. do some comparison. But yeah, we saw that and thought, gosh, that's that's not good. And, uh, you know, we you actually <laughs> took that to um, some state officials and county officials who uh, also were, um, I guess, a little surprised by that and hadn't quite compared the apples to apples to recognize just how things uh, how far things had gotten astray in Multnomah County compared to some of these other places. You know, to be fair, um, we aren't that much worse than some of those places, but being worse at all is not a good sign. Um, and also, to be fair, um, the cases are just exploding in the Mountain West region, places like uh, Denver and Boise, um, even uh, Las Vegas. And so, you know, even though we're worse than you know L.A. or San Francisco right now, we could still be worse. And, and again, that's the thing I think that we all need to keep on mind in mind. Just take a look at our trajectory, then take a look at where Idaho was. Mm-hmm. three, four weeks ago, take a look at where Montana was three, four weeks ago, and then just ask yourself, are, are we going to be there um, soon? And do you want to be there soon? And evaluate how you act based on what what that could mean. Yeah. And, and Salt Lake City too, which is, uh, I think, had the, the highest uh, rate of all those th- that we just mentioned. Uh, yeah. Scary, scary times. Um, let's take a break and we're going to come back and answer some questions from readers. Um, we have Brad Schmidt, investigative reporter for The Oregonian. Okay, Brad, I'm going to just kind of fire away with some questions that readers submitted through our uh, free text message service that we provide for topics like uh, COVID-19, uh, kind of a handy resource. I will share a link if you're interested in participating in the episode notes, but uh, we'll just start at the top. Um, is access to testing still restricted and what do people have to do to get tested if they believe they might have been exposed to COVID-19? Yeah, so access to testing is still restricted in Oregon in some ways. Um, if you have no symptoms and are white, for instance, and want to just go get tested just to see, odds are you probably won't be able to get tested. The Oregon Health Authority um, issues guidance that uh, sort of tells, suggests, directs uh, how um medical providers administer the tests. And essentially, if you have any symptoms, you should be able to get tested. If you were a close contact, meaning you spent, you know, at least 15 minutes within six feet of somebody who has a known infection, Mm -hmm. you should also be able to get tested even if you don't have symptoms. If you are a person of color or um, have um, other um, underlying health conditions or are a certain age, um, you probably should be able to get tested, but it is not universal. If you um, don't check some of those boxes and you just want to get tested to find out, odds are you probably won't. Um, you know, testing's been a long-standing issue in Oregon. If you go all the way back to the earliest days of the pandemic, mm-hmm. um, you know, we were really struggling. We don't have a, a big testing infrastructure in the state like some other places do with um, university uh, labs or just regional. Um, they're called reference laboratories, businesses, that that's what they do. And so Oregon's been struggling all along. Um, there's been some progress. You know, we were up to testing about 40,000 people a week in summer when we had our first wave. Unfortunately, as this new wave comes where cases are double or triple what we were seeing in the summer, 
our testing numbers really haven't budged. Um, uh, Amy Green will have a story in Sunday's paper on this that I'd encourage you all to read um, that looks at sort of what's going on on that. Um, so yeah, that's that's the situation for testing. Um, you know, yeah. some people can get it, some people can't. Um, okay, here's another one. Are people of color and or essential workers still bearing the brunt of infections? Uh, to some degree, yes. Um, we did a data analysis as of mid-October uh, where um, you know Latinos were um, more than 40% of the uh, state's cases where ethnicity was known. Um, it, that's essentially unmoved from the earlier days of the pandemic. Uh, I have not looked at the numbers more recently, um, mm-hmm. but I think they may be ticking down slightly just because of the overwhelming volume of new cases that are coming in. But yes, uh, des- definitely disproportionate impact for Hispanics, um, Pacific Islanders uh, as well. Um Here's another one. Are high-risk groups like uh, nursing homes, the homeless uh, population, people living on the streets, agricultural workers, et cetera, um, are they seeing any additional protection or training resources? Um, you know, testing was one of the things that the state was attempting to do for some of these groups. Migrant farm workers were supposed to be tested when they arrived uh, at the job site um, to ensure that there was no spread um, and they could identify uh, infections quickly and get people into isolation. Uh, the state has also pushed new testing inside long-term care facilities because, again, these are people who are particularly vulnerable. Staff are supposed to be tested very frequently, um, and I believe they're taking steps to test residents who want it on a regular basis. Um, has there been any uptick, Brad, that we know of uh, tied to the uh, 150 plus odd days of uh, demonstrations and protests in Portland? So, you know, that was a question that was asked and answered um, back in midsummer when uh, these um, protests were really sort of at their fevered pitch. Um, the state of health officials, local health officials would all say that they did not see evidence of transmission there, mm-hmm. but, you know, there'd sort of be a caveat that. Um, it, it's sort of dependent on how um, how aggressively they were performing their um, case investigations and contact tracing to determine that. But based on what state officials had said at the time um, and, and local officials, there was not any clear evidence that transmission was happening at these events, which, of course, I'll, I'll remind everybody are, are happening outdoors. And a lot of the people that participated were wearing masks. Yeah, I've been down there a few times and can attest to the mask wearage is pretty high as, as well as the, uh, you know, people are wearing gas masks in some instances. Um, okay. This one, I'm going to try to paraphrase, but basically, um, you know, you know, from covering this for months that you get a lot of emails from readers who are skeptical that, um, that this is a real thing, uh, that the virus is real. Um, and people are asking, um, multiple people asked whether we've been to the hospitals to see, uh, ICUs and things of that nature. We have not been to the hospitals to see ICUs and things of that nature. Uh, we do track hospitalizations and ICU usage on our website, and we report it in our daily numbers five days a week, which is uh, we'd love to do it seven days a week, but the mm-hmm. state of Oregon doesn't report those numbers on Saturday and Sunday. 
Um, what we've seen is, you know, hospitalizations are at an all-time high. They're over active hospitalizations for people with confirmed cases of COVID-19 are now over 300. Um, it was about 180 uh, two weeks ago. So do the math. Um, things are, are going up. Um, what we have done uh, is written stories about people uh, who have died. Uh, you know, Tom Hallman, one of our uh, great feature writers, is uh, always looking for new stories about Oregonians who um, have battled COVID-19 and telling their life stories. And so um, if anybody is still a skeptic, I'd encourage you to read his work. Uh, and uh, he he tells not only their stories, but um, talks with their loved ones who can um, tell us about um, what they've been through. And, you know, one of the ones that just jumps out at me is a really, really poignant story about um, two women uh, whose um, children actually married. And so they became um, uh, relatives and uh, uh, they lived in a care facility uh, right next door to each other. And um, they both got infected with COVID-19 and passed away. Yeah, there's just some absolutely heartbreaking stories. And obviously, if people are, are dying uh, alone, right, without their loved ones um, there to, to see them. But yes, there were more than a 700 deaths in, in Oregon. And we have written dozens and dozens of obituaries about these people who, who have died. Yeah, and I'll just add to, um, you know, uh, our, our death numbers are, are rising. Um, October was the second deadliest month for Oregon and it could still end up being the deadliest month. And, you know, here we are in November. Why can't I say with certainty? What we do is the state reports deaths um, on, on a given day and then they'll say what day somebody actually died. We have our own database where we're tracking all of this and we're actually tracking it by the date of death. And so it's sort of a lagging indicator. Our, our, our database is is always evolving, um, and you know there's 130 plus deaths in October, and we uh, appear to be on pace to beat not only October but the previous record from earlier this summer for November. Um, so deaths are on the rise. All right, let's turn that on its head. Another question from a reader here: How many people have recovered from COVID-19 in Oregon? So that's a tricky one. The Oregon Health Authority had been reporting that, um, I think, through basically checking back in with people after a certain interval after their infection to see that they were better. Um, the state stopped reporting that. Um, so, you know, you could take the whatever it is, 55,000 plus uh, infections that have been um, identified by the state and subtract out the deaths and then subtract out. I don't know, the last week, two weeks of people who maybe um, are still, um, you know, dealing with their current infections and sort of ballpark it um, if you wanted to. That would be the easiest way to get a rough estimate. But um, that's it's not something that anybody's tracking at this point. But, you know, majority of people, obviously, who are infected. Um, yeah, I mean, we don't know their long term effects, but yeah, they, we don't know their long term effects. There's been studies that have come out that talk about mental illness after after this, or there's been lots of um, great journalism about the so-called long haulers who just don't ever seem to get better. And, you know, then there's also, you know, some evidence that people have been reinfected, um, not necessarily in Oregon, but um, that it is a thing that can happen. So. Um, so, yes, you know, the recoveries are there, um, you know look no further than the president of the United States for having been infected, gone to the hospital and has recovered. But um, it doesn't mean that it's a, a, an easy road. 
uh, last reader question here. Um, I'm trying to decide about Thanksgiving. We were planning on 12 family members who all live in Portland, but now I'm wondering if we should cancel. Maybe if we hold off Thanksgiving, we could celebrate Christmas together. It seems like the governor kind of made that clear. Maybe that's not the time. Yeah, Governor Brown's um, uh, freeze, which goes into effect, uh, what is it, through, it begins on Wednesday and I think runs until December 2nd, if memory serves, um, and is likely to go probably at least four weeks for the metro area. Pretty much says don't do that. Um, it says, uh, you know, no more than six people in your social setting uh, from uh, no more than two families. And so um, I think that person was asking about 12. So um, the, the governor would say, please, please, please don't do that. Um, what are your uh, family plans for Thanksgiving, Brad? Um, I have yet to try and figure that out, um, but it will likely involve... Um, just uh, my my immediate family, uh, my wife and my son, and you know possibly cooking here or I don't know. We we do like to support our restaurants, and so um, if there's a, a good takeout option, perhaps we'll do that. Um, I think Screen Door, for instance, was offering something, uh, and that caught my eye. <laughs> yeah, and the state uh, epidemiologist, uh, Dean Seidlinger, uh, said yesterday, if you have the means, support your local restaurants because they are going to be feeling it again here uh, for the next uh, foreseeable future. Absolutely. Um, well, anything else, Brad, that I should have asked you that you'd want to hit on? No, I mean, I just, you know, I've been watching these numbers and writing about this for eight months. And um, as I think I opened this, you know, it's people inside the state are saying this is, you know, March and November. And, um, you know, remember what it was like back in March and how seriously we all took this. And um, it's it's time to um, double down on those uh, safety efforts if we want to get through this fall and winter um, in the uh, least painful way possible. Well, thank you so much for your steady leadership on this stuff and your coverage and for taking time to talk about it. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to Beat Check with the Oregonian. If you want to know more about how COVID-19 is affecting people, schools, and the economy, you can subscribe to Oregon Live for access to exclusive stories and analysis. Go to OregonLive.com slash pod support. You can also subscribe to our free text message service to get the latest updates on COVID-19. I shared a link in the episode notes. If you like this show, leave us a rating and review in Apple Podcasts or tell a friend. Help spread the word. Until next time.